Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. I am coming to you from Maui, Hawaii. We went on vacation to celebrate my first Mother's Day that just happened last weekend and we're going to be here for a little bit longer. Now, normally I try to do my podcast before I take off, but due to circumstances, I wasn't able to get this one done. So right now we've got Kingston and Alex in the bedroom and I'm recording out in the living room, but I promise that I'm going to make this as clear and clean as possible so that you get the most out of this episode. So let's dive on in. Can you guess the number one hormone that is often ignored when it comes to stubborn weight gain and weight resistance? Now, it's not progesterone and estrogen, which, by the way, tend to get bad raps, especially after the age of 35 when it comes to dealing with hormone issues. Now, the actual big player or one of the three big players is insulin. Now, let's start off with a slightly scary stat that most of us at some level at this point have insulin resistance after we hit 35 years old or older. And even some of us can have insulin resistance as early as being a child. Now let's actually name all of the three big hormone players really quickly that I'm most concerned with when it comes to your metabolic health and stubborn weight gain and weight resistance. It's cortisol, insulin, and thyroid hormones. Now, these three hormones are at the top of the hormone hierarchy because they are driving some of the most important cellular reactions inside of the body, and they are driving our metabolic health. Now, today, I want to focus on insulin because I often focus on the other two on this podcast. And the reason why I'm focusing on insulin today is for several, actually several reasons. Number one, like most people, there is prediabetes and diabetes in my family. My uncle was just diagnosed with diabetes last summer, and he's only 55 years old. I also want to maintain my insulin sensitivity and metabolic resilience for many, many years to come. And given that there is some genetic predisposition to diabetes in my family, I want to be really good at maintaining some good metabolic health. Number two, I am currently wearing a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, and using an app called Levels, which computes a metabolic health score for me every single day based on what I eat, my movement, my sleep, and other factors. I cannot tell you how fascinated I am at how much I can control my metabolism in real time, literally each and every day, and I have learned so much about my metabolism in the last two plus weeks since I put on the CGM and using the Levels app. Now, I do want to speak into the Levels app really quickly. It's still in beta mode and not available just yet, but you can get on the waiting list if that's something that you're interested in. And I will have the link in the show notes, or you can go check out levelshealth.com. And I had the founder, Casey Means, on the show, I forget what episode it is, I think it's 236, where we talked about metabolic health and metabolic resilience and what Levels is designed to do in order to help us and support our metabolic health. Now, as I mentioned a second ago, I get a metabolic health score every single day, and it's always updating based on my activities. Now, the lowest score, because I want to be fully transparent today, 
the lowest score so it, it ranges from you know i guess zero percent to a hundred percent i'm pretty sure but my lowest score so far in the last two and a half weeks has been 69 percent, and the highest has been 92 percent. now what has surprised me the most is how quickly i can throw off my blood sugar and metabolic health one of the biggest takeaways from wearing a CGM over the last two plus weeks now is that my metabolic health score drops at dinner, which is when we as adults in general are naturally more insulin resistant, that is in the evenings. Especially after the age of 35 and 40, we become way more insulin resistant in the evening time. Now I have found that it takes very little in terms of added carbs to throw off my optimal blood sugar range, especially at night. And I'm not talking about desserts, chips, pastas, even bread. I don't normally or ever eat these foods and haven't had any of these big offenders since I've put on the CGM. Now the foods that have spiked and crashed my blood sugar levels and have forced a massive insulin response have been brown sugar, sweet potatoes, sushi, and these are sushi rolls. This has been my worst offender to date. I had no idea that sushi was gonna land me <laughs> with a very low metabolic score, but that is what I've learned. Some smoothies, I think depending on how much berries we put in our smoothies, protein bars, ones that I had was surprised about, green juices without any fruit at all, so just vegetable green juices have also raised my blood sugar levels and forced a massive insulin response. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because a lot of these things I honestly didn't think were going to shift my insulin levels or my blood sugar level, except for potentially the sushi. I wasn't sure about that, but it was just a major eye-opening experience. Like again, no worst offenders, just these types of foods have been the thing that have majorly spiked my blood sugar levels. Now, number three, according to the most recent research on metabolic flexibility, only 12% of Americans have good metabolic health. The other 88 display one or more features that indicate that they have metabolic dysfunction and that their bodies are not able to utilize and process fats and carbohydrates efficiently. In this study, to be considered metabolically healthy, you had to have a normal blood glucose, triglycerides, a form of fat that is generated from excess glucose, high density lipoprotein cholesterol, blood pressure, waist circumference, and be without the need of medications. So having all of these things in normal range would be considered metabolically healthy. And only 12% of Americans currently meet that criteria. Now this is especially important now as more than 30 million Americans meet the criteria for diabetes and 84 million have prediabetes. These people all have some degree of insulin resistance in which the body becomes numb to insulin, the hormone that stimulates cells to clear glucose from the blood due to chronic overexposure to glucose and many other factors. The relationship between mood disorders and glucose control is something that we should all be aware of. And why is that? Because insulin resistance is a process that typically begins long before full-fledged diabetes. And 90% of people with pre-diabetic blood sugar levels don't necessarily even know they have this problem. Now what's more is 71%, almost 72% of the US are overweight or obese. 120 million Americans are living with diabetes or prediabetes and 25 to 40% of people in the US suffer from largely preventable non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And I cannot tell you how often I saw this in my practice, even in adults in late 20s who had 
preventable non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This was not because of alcohol, this was because of crazy triglyceride issues. So why are we seeing such high rates of poor metabolic health and poor metabolic fitness and its downstream consequences? Well, our genetic code has not really changed in the time that these diseases have become epidemic, but our lifestyle is unrecognizable as compared to prior centuries. Basically, our bodies are not adapting fast enough to the standard American lifestyle. So I wanted to just break that down. These are the three reasons why I think we got to have this conversation today is because, or at least I'm interested in this conversation, because this is a major concern. And when it comes to women's hormone health, I often feel that we're not looking at blood sugar, we're not looking at insulin, and these have profound impact on a lot of the hormone, quote unquote, hormone symptoms that a lot of us are dealing with. And then we go to the doctor and we're giving hormonal birth control or hormone replacement, and we completely ignore some of the underlying factors and causes of why we're dealing with hot flashes or brain fog or belly fat, weight resistance, mood swings, anxiety. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. PCOS, endometriosis, off in irregular menstrual cycles. You know, that's what I wanted to speak into today. Now, I wanna speak into what insulin resistance is before I get into how we can address and begin to get our metabolic health back on track. So insulin resistance is a syndrome at the center of many chronic health problems, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, including diabetes, obesity, heart disease, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, endometriosis, menstrual irregularities, even infertility can be connected to having insulin resistance. As I shared earlier, insulin is one of the major hormones and it has a huge cascading effect on the rest of our hormones, including estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. However, I will say that estrogen is insulin protective and once we lose estrogen naturally at the end of perimenopause into menopause, we become naturally more insulin resistant. And I will break that all down in another episode in the near future. because so I wanna speak into one, when we become insulin resistant in our menstrual cycle and why we naturally become insulin resistant in our 40s and our 50s due to the decline of our reproductive hormones. Now, insulin resistance occurs for many of us because most of our calories come from the form of simple carbohydrates, rice, bread, desserts, chips, certain fruits, even fruit juice like orange juice or apple juice. These sugars are quickly entered into the bloodstream as glucose. The body has a spike, right? It spikes up with the blood glucose, which forces insulin to address all the glucose in the bloodstream from spiraling out of control. So that's what happens. So we eat rice or bread or desserts or chips, or for me even sweet potatoes, we get a spike in our blood sugar levels, insulin responds so that our cells can take it up. Now over time, our cells simply cannot keep up. They stop responding to the insulin signal and the body becomes insulin resistant or insulin blocked. Now the body is forced to release in this instance, when we have these spikes, even more insulin because it cannot let blood sugar get too high. And what we're talking about right now, like let's say optimal range for blood sugar, is this is optimal, right? Is 72 milligrams per deciliter to 110 milligrams per deciliter. That's what I am optimally tracking inside of my levels app. 
But what is considered a really big glucose spike for the standard medical system is like anything over 140 milligrams per deciliter. But when we look at our the latest research on this is anything really above 120, we know if we consistently have spikes above 120, let's say multiple times a day, every day, throughout a lot of our life, we see a higher propensity for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, all these types of issues because we, it's causing inflammation is ultimately what's going on. So I wanted to just speak into that, that we are looking to keep our blood glucose in a very narrow window. And anytime it spikes up, insulin has to come out. And again, over time, our cells just stop responding. Now, having excess insulin in the bloodstream or hyperinsulinemia is a serious problem because the body cannot endure prolonged levels of high insulin. Too much insulin disrupts cellular metabolism and spreads system-wide inflammation. Now, when the body is unable to keep blood sugar under control, it leads to diabetes. Diabetes can then spiral into other health problems. Now, since insulin is considered a major hormone player, it affects many other hormone systems, including our reproductive hormones. So when we hit perimenopause, our bodies are already trying to manage the effects of imbalanced sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone that can cause a spectrum of perimenopausal symptoms. Yes, it's connected to insulin deregulation as well. Now, unless your insulin metabolism is balanced and functioning, you will never be able to reduce the hot flashes, lose that weight, or relieve other perimenopausal and menopausal-related symptoms. Insulin and other major hormones, including cortisol, have everything to do with how you feel every single day and how your body works. Restoring balance to insulin and cortisol should always be the top of our list when it comes to healing our bodies and supporting our cellular vitality. Now, if insulin gets blocked, there are a number of chronic conditions that can arise, as I mentioned earlier. On the top of the contributing directly, on top of contributing directly to obesity, diabetes, PCOS, Insulin resistance is closely linked to many other serious health problems like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, breast cancer, endometrial cancer, and has been implicated in Alzheimer's disease. Many people call Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes based on the inflammation insulin resistance can cause in the brain. Now, insulin resistance also hides behind two of the most common symptoms women experience during menopause, fatigue and weight gain. Women notice these symptoms as they approach menopause mostly because their bodies can no longer deal with high amounts of processed foods and carbohydrates. Eating too many simple carbs or processed foods that your body can't manage leads to that weight resistance that just won't budge, especially when it comes to belly fat. Other symptoms include brain fog, difficulty concentrating, sugar crashes, and sugar cravings. And research has demonstrated that if you experience a big glucose spike, like something over 120 milligrams per deciliter or 140 milligrams per deciliter, that's a really big sugar spike. And this could be due to a sugary coffee or a sugar-filled protein bar or whatever it may be in terms of a simple carb that your body will overcompensate with a glucose crash due to the amount of insulin it pours into the system. Now, when we get that glucose crash, you know that feeling, right? It's that hangry feeling. It is that, that cravings feeling that can happen super quick. And then you are signaled to, the, the brain is signaled a message that you need to eat. 
And so this cycle can repeat itself multiple times throughout the day, forcing insulin to rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall. Same with your blood glucose levels. And so no wonder we can get into the spiral of feeling all these cravings, feeling anxious, feeling brain fogged, mood swings, because we're constantly spiking our blood sugar levels up and then crashing them as an over response or an overcompensation right after that. I know that I've been in that crash cycle in my life for sure, and it can feel miserable. It can feel like you're just out of control and you just don't feel great. Now, all of these early symptoms of insulin resistance are, what I wanted to speak into is a lot of what I'm mentioning is that these are early symptoms of insulin resistance, but we sometimes don't make that connection and no one's really pointing this out to us all the time. And it's important because this signals that there could be some major concerns down the road. Now for women in particular, the way insulin resistance disrupts fat metabolism is significant. So I wanna speak into that really quickly as well. When cells won't soak up the extra glucose, the liver has to deal with it by converting it into fat. Since fat cells are loaded with glucose receptors, this is a never ending cycle. So if you are insulin resistant and gaining weight, your cells are actually starved for glucose. Even with all that excess glucose, they still can't get enough. The situation is called syndrome X because you will feel exhausted all the time so that you turn to those same trouble causing carbohydrate heavy foods for fast energy. But since your extra fat cells are like little Estrogen factories, they promote weight gain by feeding estrogen dominance that causes so many symptoms during the early stages of perimenopause, such as heavy periods, migraines, fibroids, brain fog, and mood swings. Kind of similar to the glucose crash that happens, right? We're kind of feeding all into this vicious cycle. Now, insulin resistance symptoms usually hit well before menopause, but when syndrome X is in full swing, women's health can deteriorate rapidly during menopause as estrogen levels fall. Any existing digestive issues turn more serious as the body's natural defense against inflammation, including estrogen, are depleted. So given all of this, right, we've got a lot of different spirals here, all connected to our blood sugar levels, um, how do we stay on top of our blood glucose and insulin levels to make sure that we are maintaining metabolic health? Well, you are at the highest risk for developing insulin resistance if you have a family history of type 2 diabetes or if you've ever had gestational diabetes, hypertension, or been overweight. So just a heads up there. Women who tend to gain weight mostly around their bellies show less tolerance for insulin as well. So to assess your risk, measure yourself around the smallest part of your waist, don't hold in your stomach when you do it, and the biggest part of your hips. Divide your waist measurement by your hip measurement. A ratio bigger than 0.8 for women, 1.0 for men, indicate that your abdomen is obese and you are at risk for developing insulin resistance, or you already definitely have insulin resistance. Now, if you have an abnormal amount of fat or cholesterol in your blood, especially if you have low LDL levels and high triglycerides, you also may be insulin resistant. And another sign to look for is skin changes. That could be like a velvety, wart-like darkened skin patches on the neck and armpits. This skin change indicates insulin resistance in over 90% of women who experience it. If you suspect insulin resistance or you wanna stay on top of it, I recommend doing a full blood sugar panel. Or better yet, 
see if you can get access to a continuous glucose monitor. The first step to improving metabolic health and fitness is tracking it, and glucose monitoring is the best, most easily acceptable tool for this job. Now, if you're not able to get access to a CGM, the next best thing is to track your blood sugar with a finger prick if you're willing to do that. I know these days it doesn't hurt very much because they've made them so effective and efficient, and you can get that like at a CVS or a drugstore, or get blood tests every 90 days and here are the blood tests that i recommend getting i recommend getting a metabolic panel and a full on like a blood sugar panel so i recommend glucose so your fasting blood sugar hemoglobin a1c and fasting insulin now an ideal fasting glucose is under 80 milligrams per deciliter and this is the real ideal the closer to 100 milligrams per deciliter fasting glucose that you have, you are moving into dangerous territory. I know that your practitioners may tell you that you're good to go around 100 milligrams per deciliter, but it's simply not true based on the most current research. Now, you want a hemoglobin A1C ideally under 5.4, but most ideally under 5, and a glucose tolerance test ideally 130 milligrams per deciliter and under. Now that you have your labs requested, it's important that you continue to check this every 90 days to see what is going on. Again, a CGM will allow you to see a lot of this in real time, hence why I'm wearing one, because I really wanna get a sense of what are the things that spike my blood sugar? What are the things that keep it stable within the 72 to 110 milligrams per deciliter, that optimal metabolic health zone? So. Now that we've got labs and we kind of know what you're working with, or you just suspect that you've got some insulin resistance, which again, if 88% of us have some level of metabolic dysfunction, I think the recommendations I'm gonna give right now can be super, super beneficial. So the first thing I'm gonna recommend is to manage your carbs. Each meal should have no more than 15 grams of carbohydrates as vegetables and fruits, no bread, pasta, or sugar, and some lean protein. Each snack should contain only seven grams of similar carbohydrates as well, if you know that you've got to dial your insulin. Eat healthy fats. Essential fatty acids are super important as an anti-insulin resistant diet. Find EFAs, essential fatty acids, in avocados, cold water fish like salmon and tuna, flaxseed and eggs, or choose an omega-3 supplement, although I do love to get a lot of this from food on top of the supplement. I personally take Nordic Naturals Omega-3 supplement. I think it's like close to 1,300 milligrams of omega-3s. And I also focus on these foods as well. Next, you wanna remove inflammatory foods, processed sugar, chips, juices, sugary coffee, crackers, desserts, gluten, dairy. All of these things can light up inflammation in the body. Also, a lot of these things can increase and spike your blood glucose levels. And then I also recommend, because it's a big, big lesson that I have personally learned, is that eat earlier at night since you are less insulin resistant earlier in the evening. So aim for no later than 7 p.m. And ideally, if you can do it between 5 and 6, even better. That's what I'm working on right now. I'm trying to eat before 6 p.m. Next is practice intermittent fasting three to five times a week with a fast of at least 13 to 15 hours. So if you finish eating at 7 p.m., you're gonna break your fast after 8 a.m. the next day with healthy proteins and fats. Now, 
8 a.m. puts you at 13 hours, 9 a.m. puts you at 14 hours, 10 a.m. puts you at 15 hours, but even 13 hours, 8 a.m. is perfect. If you can go that long, it gives your cells, your body an opportunity to increase insulin sensitivity. Next, choose a complete nutritional supplement that addresses sugar cravings. If you know you've got a sugar craving concern, because I have met so many women needing craving support, I formulated a supplement that addresses the source of many craving issues. It's called Crave Arrest. It's designed to stabilize many types of cravings that are caused by an imbalance of serotonin, dopamine, and stress. It also works to support adrenals and cortisol, major drivers of cravings and belly fat. I'm gonna have the link for this episode in 268, so you wanna check out Crave Arrest, I highly recommend it. It can help decrease carbohydrates and sugar cravings and normalize hormone function, especially after the age of 35 in perimenopause. Next, what I recommend is get 30 minutes of strength training exercise three to five times a week because 20 to 30 minutes of strength training can help regulate metabolic function and increase your metabolic burn rate for up to two to three hours post-workout. That is what I've been doing. I know that as we get older, we reduce our muscle mass, so we've got to be able to build that back up. Our muscle is our greatest ally, and it's literally the organ of longevity, and the best way we can do that is with weights. So strength training, again, you don't need a lot, and I don't recommend a lot, because we can actually move ourselves into stress mode and increase cortisol. So I would say 30 minutes is that sweet spot for most of us, especially as we get older, but maybe 45 is great for you as well. Three to five times a week, and I'm telling you, you will create a lot of insulin sensitivity this way. Next, a no-brainer, decrease stress. I know, easier said than done, but relieving and preventing stress reduces strain on the adrenal glands and also keep your insulin levels in check. Decrease alcohol intake or get rid of alcohol overall. Let me tell you, alcohol will 100% spike your blood sugar levels and lead it to a crash. Not only that, alcohol can create a leaky gut as well. There's lots of different issues and alcohol also creates helps to contribute to fatty liver disease, just a heads up. And then just consider these other supplements to help insulin stability and metabolic health. These are have been known to help create sensitivity in your insulin. So chromium, 100 to 400 micrograms per day, and berberine, 900 to 2,000 milligrams per day. Chromium berberine supplements have been found to significantly improve your insulin sensitivity to help you keep your blood sugar balanced. Beyond improving your insulin resistant state, they can help reduce inflammation and regulate the levels of glucose that are circulated in your bloodstream to help you achieve your weight loss goals. So love, love these two supplements. Next, magnesium glycinate, 400 to 600 milligrams per day. Magnesium does many, many things, like 500 plus things, but helps to maintain healthy blood sugar levels and insulin levels so that you don't experience the spikes and dips that lead to binging and excess snacking. It also helps minimize bloating and how much water your body retains, which can help knock off some of that initial weight that is holding you back from success. There are a lot of different types of magnesium, but they are not all the same. I recommend my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore because it is a chelated form of magnesium glycinate. It's bioavailable and it is easy to use for your body without causing any gastrointestinal discomfort. Next is vitamin D, 5,000 units a day. I know for a fact that most of us do not have enough vitamin D. 
and when we don't, we may struggle to lose weight. Vitamin D can prevent your body from storing excess fat while also promoting your metabolism, specifically moving it in action to keep new fat cells from forming. Vitamin D has a profound impact on serotonin levels, which governs everything from sleep to how you move to how hungry you are and how satisfied you are after a meal. I know, I'm always learning new and fascinating things about vitamin D. There are so many reasons to make sure that we have adequate amounts of it every single day. Next are probiotics. We just had an episode with Tina Anderson, who is the owner of Just Thrive Probiotics. Phenomenal probiotic. But when your microbiome is imbalanced due to excess sugar and processed foods and stress and chemicals, your body's balance is also gonna suffer, including insulin levels. Probiotics are essential to help you cut inflammation, increase feelings of satiety after you eat, maintain stable blood sugar, and even reduce how much fat your body stores. The ideal way to support your gut is through foods, specifically fermented veggies, coconut kefir, miso, and then also a great probiotic. And I do love the Just Thrive probiotic. It's phenomenal. And you can go check out that episode. I believe it was episode 267 that went live on Tuesday. And then last but not least is fiber. And I recommend 30 grams of fiber per day. This is so critical because we don't get enough, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't even reach the halfway point to that number. The average person gets around nine to 11 grams of fiber per day. And I cannot tell you how critical it is to get fiber up to that 30 grams per day because getting fiber helps to keep you regular, cleans out toxins that accumulate in your gut and your colon, plays a critical role in feeding your microbiome to ensure it stays healthy and balanced, and it helps you to feel fuller longer so that you don't face ultimate cravings or hunger that drive up excessive snacking and derails your progress. The best food sources for fiber are nuts, fruits, and veggies, so upping your intake of greens and low glycemic index fruits like berries is a great place to start. Also, adding a dietary fiber supplement to smoothies that you're already making, hopefully you're already making smoothies, protein smoothies or whatever green smoothies you love, but if you can add fiber to your smoothies, not only are you getting the fiber from your smoothies, but also from that excess fiber. I do carry a fiber because I know women need it. It's called Daily Fiber Complete. And what I love about it is it integrates very well, doesn't cause any bloating or gas, that is often accompanied with fiber powders. So I will have the link to my supplements to Crave Arrest, Magnesium Restore, Vitamin D, and the fiber in the show notes, or you can just go to drmarisa.com slash supplements to go check it out. And if you wanna learn more about the Levels app that I'm using right now that I'm in beta mode with, check out the episode with Dr. Casey Means, the co-founder of Levels on episode 236. It looks like I got that right earlier in this episode. And as always, I know that was a lot of information to digest, but I hope you're feeling really clear about what steps to take moving forward, especially when it comes to getting your metabolic health back on track. And the beautiful thing is, is if we can get our metabolic health back on track, we will begin to lose that stubborn weight because that is inflammation, right? We're holding on to that because of inflammation. If we can lessen that and support our metabolic health, we just start to lose weight. I know for me that has been the case multiple times in my life where I got back on track, I got my metabolic health back in gear, and then the weights are coming off. 
Now, as always, thank you so much for joining me today on the Essentially You podcast. If you found this episode helpful, head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode and subscribe and rate and review the Essentially You podcast. Now, up next, next Tuesday, I am hosting Dr. Northrup, literally the pioneer in women's hormone health and my just go-to expert when it comes to understanding women's wisdom and women's bodies. Her book, her number one best-selling book, is coming out with a fourth edition, The Wisdom of Menopause. So we're gonna be talking about not only owning your hormones at every age, but especially in perimenopause and beyond. Until then, have an amazing weekend.